so this morning we're going to continue on our journey through the Lord's Prayer. This is our fourth week. We'll have one more week next week. And this morning we're going to cover verses 12, 14, uh, and 15. And then JP will cover the last verse, uh, verse 13, next week. Um, and as I was thinking about this, uh, everybody know what America's Funniest Home Videos? Everybody's familiar with AFV. In our household, uh, it's a kind of a staple. We like to watch that as uh, a house together. And I'm not sure if it's because we can relate so well with what's going on in the videos uh, or if it's because we like to um, laugh at other people's shortcomings. Uh, I think it's maybe a little, a little bit of, of both there. Uh, one of my favorites is when there's the person that has their mind set on accomplishing something. And they're dead set that they're going to be able to do it. And then they come up short, right? So like the, the person that's going to run and jump across the creek. And they don't quite make it and they end up, you know, knee deep in, in mud and just kind of stick there like a dart in a board. Uh, or maybe the person that's on the rope swing. You've seen those guys that go and they're trying to land in the lake or the river. And they don't quite make it so they find the, the riverbed before they find the water. Um, or maybe it's the one that has, has aimed and is trying to hit a moving target or a set target, yet they miss just enough. They come up just short to ruin someone else's day. Right? I think we've all had some sort of experience with that. Um, but that's one of my favorite things. And today we're going to talk about something like that, but it's not going to be as comical as America's Funny Some Videos, but it is this reality that we all come up short so often. We all are at a place where when you look at that word debt, forgive us our debt, it's a, it's a, the word in the Greek means that we owe someone something. It's to owe is the literal word. And so when we think about our own shortcoming, how we've all come up short, we think about what we have come up short of, and that is the righteousness and the glory of God. We all have this debt that we have to carry on. And so in this fourth, uh, in this fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, we talk about forgiveness of, of that debt which is a very interesting and very difficult thing for us to get our heads and our hearts around because it's so closely related to and tethered to um, our emotions and our pride. Being able to forgive someone or ask for forgiveness, a lot of times our emotions and our pride get in the way. And so first of all, we want to start with that as the basis of what is forgiveness and we have to understand that forgiveness um, is, is like the fourth petition, asking for our daily bread. It's something that we need to ask for on a daily basis. But it's not the same thing as justification. What Jesus did on the cross, he did once and for all. He doesn't have to continue to die over and over again and be resurrected over and over again. He has given us fullness of grace and life and mercy in him through one death, one burial, one resurrection, now one ascension as he sits at the right hand of the Father. So that is the justification process that, that he has placed in those who believe in him. And then we, we work out our sanctification. And that's kind of what we'll talk about today is that daily forgiveness, that daily need of God's forgiveness and, and forgiveness of each other. But yet one day it's catapulting us into this hope that one day we will be fully glorified in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today we need to think about how often we break this vertical communion with God because of our sinfulness. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't, he doesn't do it backwards. He doesn't say, ask for forgiveness of others first and then ask for forgiveness of your father. He says, forgive us our sins first. 
so that we are able to forgive others the debts or the trespasses or the sins that they've had against us. And so it's so important that we make sure that we keep that in order. Jesus is teaching us that for a very specific reason. And when we understand, when we're asking for forgiveness, we're understanding that we have this debt that we owe. Now, Jesus has paid for all. We've, we've been fully justified in him. But daily, we break that vertical communion through our own sinfulness. We create this own, uh, this own uh, fracture in a relationship where we begin to start believing in ourselves more than we begin believing and remember to believe in, in God. So we have to first understand what we've been given through Jesus Christ. That understanding of, of grace and how it is a daily call. It's a daily call to, to receive it, to enjoy it, and also to extend it and to share it to others. Because the reality is that every day we're prone to wonder, right? But what we need to remember is that if we were to be stuck in our own ways, then we would be satisfied living in the state of, of death. We'd be, we'd be satisfied in our flesh because our flesh would never choose Jesus on its, on its own. We'd be satisfied living in our brokenness, living in our sinfulness. Colossians 2, 4 says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So historically, we need to understand when someone had a debt uh, against like the Roman government, then the Romans would come and they'd actually pin the amount of debt that you owed to your door. Or they put it in a public place to shame you, to humiliate you. Until you paid the debt or until there was a punishment satisfied in that. And so when Paul talks about this in Colossae, to the church of Colossae, he's saying, he's using this imagery to speak directly to that culture. Saying that that debt that the Romans would say that you owe, well, you have a different debt. We have a debt that's in our sin. And that it has also to be paid. And it has been paid in full through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus doesn't come or, or people aren't going to come and they're going to pin your sin to your door or into a public place. But they're going to pin it and it has been pinned or nailed to the cross. It's been paid in full. We don't owe anything. And so we have to rejoice in that. We have to start that we've been justified. It's by grace we've been justified. Yet there is still this daily fracture, this daily sinfulness that we struggle with. So where does forgiveness come from? Uh, I think so often we believe that it's something uh, that we can do without God. Sometimes we think, well, the sin or the brokenness or the, the, the foul is against me. It has really nothing to do with God. So, so I'll forgive you of this thing, this brokenness. And we do that enough and we do that in enough small pockets over and over again. We start to actually believe that we have the power to forgive sins. That it's our, our power, our strength to forgive one another someone's sins. We like that, that, that kind of authority that it makes us feel. We like saying those words, I forgive you. But when it's done outside of the cross, rooted in anything else, then there is no power at all. It's something that we'll continue to, to wrestle with as humans, is that we'll continue to, to be broken and hurt. And we're going to feel like we have the strength to forgive others, but we don't have that strength. The, the power of forgiveness has to be rooted in one place and one place only. Forgiveness will always be rooted in the cross. 
And we're only able to extend forgiveness because we understand first how much we've been forgiven of. If it's rooted in anything else, there's no power. There's no strength. And so that's not a natural thing for us. To offer forgiveness to someone else isn't a natural thing. For offer forgiveness to someone else through the power of the Holy Spirit is not natural. And so I want us to look a little bit at Matthew 18 because Jesus does this brilliant thing here in this parable. He's teaching Peter that it's not about your natural ways. It's not natural for you. And Peter even says, he says, hey, uh, Lord, how often will my brother, should I, uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him his debts? As many as seven times? I like this because Peter's asking, uh, in the sense that he thinks that there's a, there's a, a quantitative measure on how much forgiveness is. Now, Peter was a good Jewish boy. He grew up around the temple, around rabbi teaching. And in the rabbi teaching, they would only give you three strikes. So they'd forgive three times. And on the fourth time, there needed to be some sort of, some sort of, uh, different type of forgiveness. It had to be a sacrifice, a, pen, a penalty of some sin were to be paid. And then you start, kind of start over. And so Peter's going, well, maybe I'll be really generous with my forgiveness. Is it seven times, Lord? And so Jesus, what he does here is that he uh, speaks into to Peter's understanding of what was being taught in the temple, and he uses a reference from uh, the Old Testament to help him understand how often this should happen. A reference that we find in Genesis chapter 4. Now, like I said, most Jewish boys that grew up in the rabbi, or under the teaching of the rabbi, they would have a really good understanding of the first five books of the, the Old Testament. They'd have a very good understanding of the story of creation and the stories of the first families. So Jesus uses this brilliant phrase, this brilliant reference, to help Peter understand and to help us understand how deep forgiveness truly is. But he uses it in a very unique way. So in Genesis 4, there's a story about Cain and Abel. Most of us are probably familiar with this story. Two brothers. One, Cain, was very jealous over his brother Abel. Jealous so much that the anger was swelling up in his heart. And God even knew that this anger was there. And he says, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. But sin overcame Cain. And Cain would go on and he would murder his brother. And then God would send Cain out. To be a wonderer. And Cain was concerned. Hey, what if I get sent out and something tries to kill me? So God marks Cain and says that, that nothing will ever touch you. Nothing will kill you. And if it does, vengeance will be the Lord sevenfold. So Cain goes out. And Cain settles this community, this, this city. And after a couple of children, he names this city after his son Enoch. And Enoch, in the city of Enoch, after five more generations, and we're all seeing this as in a very small portion in Genesis 4, we see five generations of men that are being raised up. And then we come to this one man, this very interesting man, and it's a very good sample of the type of people that would have been in Enoch. Uh, brutal, probably an, an idolater of some sort. He was just a really good core sample of the rebellion and the sinfulness that was happening right there. And his name is Lamech. Some of you may be familiar with this story, Lamech's Revenge. Lamech is, is a guy that is very macho in his own understanding. And so he tells, and we write this, he writes this poem right in the middle of Genesis 4 and verse 23. 
And he's boasting and bragging about how manly he is. And he's bragging to his wives. And it says in verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zelah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So Lamech is comparing his vengeance to God's vengeance. And that it's seventy-sevenfold times greater than God's. So why would Jesus use this reference to explain to Peter how often we should forgive our brothers and sisters? Well, forgiveness is a new way of living. Forgiveness is a new way of life in the kingdom of God. Jesus is showing him what the kingdom of God was going to be like as if earth were to come and be in heaven, or as if earth as it is in heaven. So whatever forgiveness is, which we'll talk about that in just a minute, we have to understand that whatever is our natural proclivity as humans, our natural instinct is going to have sin rooted in it. Think about if, if someone were to come up and, and punch you in the face or punch your, your wife or your kid or kick your dog. There's something that's going to be, that's going to naturally come up inside of you. Right? There's this natural instinct, whether it's fight or flight, there's something that naturally arouses inside your heart. And what Jesus is saying here is that whatever that natural tendency might be, I want you to turn it on its head. I want you to do the opposite. And so he uses Lamech as as an example that Lamech, he naturally wanted to revenge. And so Jesus is using our natural instinct and flipping it on its head. And naturally we we might want to only do it maybe seven times like Peter. But the kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom that we reside in here. The kingdom of God says that whatever you take is natural, we're going to go and we're going to do the opposite of that. We've seen that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But not just extend it, but extend it with the same intensity, the same passion, the same patience that God has showed us. Take what is unnatural to us and use it to show others what God is like. Lamech in the Old Testament was this picture, this epitome of the human nature. And so Jesus uses Lamech's passion for vengeance and says it's like that, but completely opposite. Instead of revenge, Jesus is saying that we should offer forgiveness. If Lamech is a picture of unbridled revenge, then Jesus' followers are called to be people with unbridled mercy and forgiveness. That is what bringing heaven to earth would be like. Andy asked us this question two weeks ago when he was talking about your kingdom come, your will be done. And it struck me when he asked this question in my my heart. If God asked his only son to die so that we could live, what might God ask of you? It's a heart-wrenching question. And as I've pondered and thought about it, I thought, well, he's asked us to do the same thing that he did his son. But when he asks us to die to ourselves, we are not going to bring salvation to others. Only Jesus can do that. But what happens is that our death will offer to others what God is like. We have an opportunity to show others what God is like by when, when someone wrongs us. 
We have the opportunity to take what man meant for evil and watch God use it for good. So whether they ever ask for forgiveness or not, dying to our natural instincts and desires, and but then desiring for God uh, to be glorified, not not man. So that's not natural for us. We always are the ones that want to be glorified. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry for 15 years, and I've heard over and over again in counseling sessions and time with folks in the church, when we start talking about hurts and past hurts and forgiveness, and I've heard these phrases, you don't understand what has happened to me. You don't understand the hurt or the scars. I've heard I can never forgive them of that. I've heard I will never be the same ever. Now I just want to say that the forgiveness God is calling us to, it has to be led, it has to lead us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own. Forgiveness is not something that we are able to muster up and actually do on our own. It has to be sourced and rooted in the power of God. So forgiveness does not mean that the hurt is gone. Forgiveness does not mean that the consequences of sin disappears. The scars aren't still there every day. And the brokenness is magically put back together. Nor does it mean that you have to reconcile and be friends or make up. Or act like nothing has ever happened. It does not mean that you continue to live in an unsafe environment. Or continue to be someone else's doormat of abuse. It does not mean that God is telling you to stick it out. And it will get better if you just ignore it. It does not mean a person has to continue to be part of your life. But what we do know that Jesus is calling us to in forgiveness is that we would offer forgiveness. Okay, and so we need to talk about what does forgiveness mean. So Jesus continues on this brilliant parable in Matthew 18 to explain to us what and how he would forgive and what God is like. So if you know this this, past, this, this parable, there's a master. And this master has uh, servants, and he brings all of his servants together, and he starts collecting debts from those servants. And there's one servant that has this astronomical number that he has to pay back. 10,000 talents. Which is, uh, you know, it's, it's not even, it's laughable that, that you think someone would be able to pay that back. It's about 150 years worth of wages. So not in one lifetime would a person be able to pay 10,000 talents back. And so he goes to the servant, he begins to choke him and says, hey, pay me what you owe me. And, he's, and he says, I can't. And so the master says, well, sell his children and sell his wife. And the, ma- and the servant says, no, please don't. I will pay you back. And knowing that he will never pay this back, and the master knew that he could never pay it back. And so the master looks at this servant, and he has pity on him. He says, your debt's been forgiven. Pretty overwhelming. So the servant leaves the master, and he goes to a peer servant, a fellow servant, that owes him about a hundred denarii, which would be maybe three months' wages. And he begins to choke him, just like he was being choked by the master. And he begins to choke the servant, says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, I can't, I won't, I can't, I can't pay you back right now, I'll pay you back. And instead of showing 
mercy and showing pity, he throws him into jail, knowing that he'll never be able to pay back the debt if he's actually not working and not in jail. And so some of the other fellow servants see this happen, and they go back to the master and say, Hey, master, the servant that you forgave this huge debt from has gone and choked and threw a fellow servant in, in, in jail. And the master goes to that servant, unhappy, and says, You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And so the master threw him in jail. And Jesus goes on in verse 35 and he says, And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Forgiveness is a call to release us from the debt, from the trespasses, from the sins, from all those broken relationships, for this vertical relationship that we'd be asking for forgiveness so that we can be mended together back with the Father and so that we can understand what we've been forgiven of so that we might extend that to other people. Now we've got to be careful here. There's a caveat that this is not a bartering tool. This is not a tool where you say, well, I'm going to forgive someone so that God will forgive me. That's not how it works. It's not an option for, for that you'll magically uh, activate God's forgiveness if you were to forgive someone. Jesus says it's deeper than that. It has to come from a deeper place, not just um, our thinking, not just the words that we're saying, but it has to come from our heart. It has to be something that's, that, that the Holy Spirit has done in our heart to know that we've been released of something. A debt that we could never pay back in 150 years. So that we might turn to a brother or a sister and be able to quickly extend that same forgiveness to them. It's not a, a moment where you just wink at God and say, I'm going to forgive them so you'll forgive me because i got stuff I need to be forgiven of. It's literally a heart transformation. And when we do that any other way, then we cheapen what God has done for us on the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls it cheap grace. He says that it's grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. If we can't forgive or only forgive because we think God will forgive us, we have cheapened what Jesus has done for us. What he has paid for in full on the cross. For us to see forgiveness any other way is to cheapen what Jesus has done for us. And so we have to turn inwardly into our own hearts. We have to look at our own hearts and say, what if there's a reason that I'm not able to offer or extend forgiveness or I'm doing it in a way where there's still hatred or, or unforgiveness or, or uh, vengeance in my heart, then why? What's going on in my heart? It's not the other person. It's, it's something that you and God have not mended. Jesus is offered fully justified in, in the son, uh, through the Son of Jesus, through His blood, that we would be fully forgiven. And so we know it's an open bank. We can go and ask and God will forgive. But so often we have to take an inward look. Because something's preventing us from extending forgiveness to someone else. And usually it's something that you feel like you've done in your life that you can't be forgiven of. Something that you're holding so deep, uh, so close to that you think that the, the blood of Christ couldn't cover what he 
what you have done. We're holding on to something that Jesus has paid for in full. If there's something in your heart that is preventing you from believing God's grace, past, present, or future, then you will not be able to extend the same forgiveness in the same way that you that Christ has offered it to you because you don't believe it. There's a level of unbelief in all of us. Statistics say that we all have unforgiveness in our hearts. Jesus says, I've come to set you free from that. To mend the brokenhearted. To make a way. To carry the burden. It's our own hearts to respond to what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's where forgiveness begins. Forgiveness begins by looking at our own hearts and realizing the huge debt that we have been forgiven of. We are the first servant. And God, being a perfect and loving master, has been so patient and so kind in extending that and saying, your debt has been forgiven. And then for us to respond to that, what is that called? It's called worship. That's what this whole series has been about, has been going through the Lord's Prayer, is that this is a call for us to worship who God is as the King, as the Holy Father, as the one that's called us to be ambassadors to His kingdom. That He's sovereign, that He's ruling over all things. He has a perfect will that we get to, that walk, that we get to walk in as His creation. He provides all things for us. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. And he forgives even when there's unbelief. And so even in this time, in this section of the prayer, we get to to pray that together. It's a daily call to say, I just need to be reminded that I'm in a place of worship when when I'm confessing my sins to you. Lord, forgive me my debt. Forgive us our debt so that we can forgive others. If we don't understand that vertical forgiveness relationship, then we're not able to extend it properly to those that are horizontally. We're not able to do that with one another. And so the call, even as we pray this prayer this morning, is that we would look deep in our own hearts and say, what am I holding on to? What am I not surrendering over to God? Because we all have some sort of unforgiveness of ourself, We have some sort of unforgiveness of someone else that's going on in our hearts. And so I'd like for us to actually pray this prayer together. It's found on page 1012. I'd like for us to read the same words so that I know there's a couple different variances when it comes to the word uh, debt. So if you would, turn to that in your Bible on page 10 or page 1012, Matthew 6, and we'll start in verse 9. And as you're turning there, I just want you to think about, this is a process. It's a process. That whole process of like, we've been justified. We're being sanctified. We're learning as we go. And even part of having unforgiveness is that you confess, Lord, I have unforgiveness in my heart. I confess that to you. Would you forgive me of that so that I can forgive others? It is a process. And one day, we'll be freed from all that. <laughs> be fully glorified in the presence of our king, but hear these words uh, right before we read this. God is not harboring unforgiveness towards you. When you confess, he doesn't harbor 
unforgiveness. He offers forgiveness in the full, in the fullness of what Christ has done on the cross. So please, let's pray this out loud together. Starting in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive the... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. Uh, there are, obviously, the King James, New King James Version has that, that tag on the end. Uh, and so that is an excellent prayer for us to do daily for his glory. Let us pray. God, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for the forgiveness you've offered to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would do the hard work of breaking the emotional tides, tides and, and uh, the pride that's in our own heart. And help us to, to be forgiven. Help us to find that our forgiveness is found in full with what you have done and you have completed on the cross. Jesus paid it all. We sing those, those words. We believe that. We believe that with all of our heart, Lord. Help our unbelief. Help where we're, we're holding on to something. God, do that work in us. Let this be something that activates in us that the, as we leave here to, to go and, and to find uh, peace with you. And then for those that have hurt us, for those that, that we've hurt, that we would um, find forgiveness. We extend that forgiveness horizontally, Lord. Lord, do that work in us, please. For your glory, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.